About two years ago, uh, during the summer, my family and I were at the Children's Museum, just enjoying one of those uh, really hot summer days, and decided to go indoors somewhere. So we went to the Indianapolis Children's Museum, and uh, just enjoying our time there, we got a phone call uh, from a neighbor of ours, and she was asking... Uh, if her daughter happened to be at our house, if she could go into our house, she knew we weren't home, can I go into your house and see if my daughter is there? We're like, her daughter was four at the time. And uh, we said, what's going on? And she said, well, uh, we can't find Audrey anywhere. Her, she has an Audrey, I have an Audrey. She has an Audrey, Audrey was four years old. Couldn't find her anywhere. And uh, she said, uh, so we thought, well, that, that's kind of odd. That was our first thought, that's a little odd. And then uh, she said, no, I mean, like, the whole neighborhood is looking for her. We have searched all over the house. We've searched everybody's houses in the neighborhood except yours because you're not home. Uh, we've searched everybody's yard. The police are here. They're getting ready to release the police dogs to go find her. It was a really concerning moment. And all of a sudden for us, uh, as we're um, enjoying this beautiful day at the Children's Museum, it was one of those, <gasps> this is serious. Maybe we need to get home. And so we, we had this moment of, well, we can't do anything. Uh, it's probably nothing. Uh, but all of a sudden we realized as we were walking around the Children's Museum that we weren't enjoying our time there anymore, that there was something uh, very concerning to us. And so we decided to get in the car and drive home. We get a call on the way home. Audrey's fine. They found her. She was under a pile of laundry in the house. What had happened was she had gotten upset, apparently, at her sisters or her parents or someone. She decided to hide under a pile of laundry, and then she fell asleep. And so as her parents walked through the house, uh, crying, screaming for her, looking for her. She slept through the whole thing. Uh, they couldn't find it. Of course, the dogs come in um, to uh, sniff and try to find her. Well, that whole pile of laundry smells like her, so um, there was no way to find it. But here's what happened. We got home and we realized that the entire neighborhood had kind of jumped into action to find this lost child. Like it was a real community moment, as horrifying as the result could have been. Thank God it was nothing serious. But we realize that in those moments of crisis, people jump to the help of their neighbors, don't they? And it got me thinking, and I was thinking then, and I was thinking again this week as I was preparing this message, like, what if we all had the same urgency to help our neighbors that are spiritually lost? You know, we, we have people all around us that are looking for purpose, they're looking for a reason to live, they're looking for a greater, greater things in their life. And what if we had that same urgency in our hearts to reach those people? As we continue this series today called Love Where You Are, last week, if you were here, we started looking at some words spoken by Jesus. Uh, they're often referred to as the great commandment. They're from the book of Matthew, Matthew 22, uh, where Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So someone had asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And his reply was, love God and love your neighbor. You know, we talked about that last week. We opened the series by asking ourselves, what would happen if we took the second half of the great commandment literally? Like, what if we started loving our actual, real, next-door neighbors? And then we also introduced this neighbor map. You guys remember this? Uh, how many of you brought this back with you this week? Anybody have yours? One, two, three, four. Okay, a few of you are good. This is mine. Uh, you can see that it's filled out, um, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But if you didn't get one last week, you should have gotten one at the door today. And what we did was we sent you away last week, and we said, hey, could you go and think about your eight closest neighbors and just learn their names. 
If you don't already know their names, uh, go learn their names. And then that was blank A. That was your assignment for last week. And then blank B was some fact about them. What's their job? What's their hometown? Um, you know, what, how did they meet? Whatever that is. And then part C is this. Do you know any deeper parts of their story? Do you know any part of their spiritual journey, what their church history is like, what's their relationship with God like, if you know anything about that? Because this is a great, uh, a useful tool um, for just even remembering th- facts about your neighbors. And, and besides, how are you going to love somebody if you don't know their name, right? That's what we said last week. Now, here's mine. I've got some work to do. You can see there's a couple of these blanks where I don't have things filled out. Um, I do have all of their names, at least first names. Um, but I heard some great stories this week of people trying to get a name that were rejected at the door. And so I can't share most of those with you because they may be here today. Uh, but really some great funny stuff. Uh, for some of us, filling out this map came really easy. Like we already knew all the answers, right? But for, for many of you, uh, maybe you realized you too have some work to do and hopefully you did some of that work. Now the point of this was not to make anybody feel guilty, but hopefully to motivate us to think about how we can choose obedience. You know, Jesus called us to this command. He calls us to obey, to love our neighbor. And so uh, this is a tool to get us to figure out how we can choose obedience. Now, when we talk about our neighbor, what we said last week is we can make a case that everyone's our neighbor. You know, and, and uh, there's places in the Bible where people try to do that. But what I want to get us thinking about is not just the people that you come in contact all day long as you uh, work or go to school or go about your, your daily life, but to be thinking about and praying about the people that live closest to us, the people that are across the street, down the hall, upstairs from you, and what it means to really love them as Jesus has called us to love. And so the challenge last week was learning the names. Hopefully some of you did that, made progress. Today we're going to take it a step further as we think about what it really looks like to cultivate those relationships with our neighbors. And I want you to think about that uh, word, cultivate. Uh, And we're going to talk more about that next week. But this is what we're doing, really. When we try to build a relationship, we are cultivating soil. We are preparing soil like you do in a garden. Uh, to get it ready for planting, okay? And so just think about this as cultivating those relationships. Uh, If you have your Bible, turn them to Colossians 4. Uh, Colossians 4 is a letter. It's in the New Testament. It's written by a man named Paul. And we're going to spend some of our time in Colossians today. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one that looks like this around you somewhere. I advise you to get that out. Advise. Advise is too strong a word. I ask you. I implore you. I uh, request that you get out this Bible and uh, turn it to Colossians 4 so that you can follow along with us. It is on page 822, 821, 822, 823 in this Bible right here. 823, page 823. Uh, Colossians is a letter written by Paul. It's written to an early church in a place called Colossae. Colossae. Uh, The Apostle Paul was a pioneer in the early church, planted a lot of churches, and then wrote letters to many of these churches. Now, the thing about Colossians that makes it different is we don't have, I don't think, any knowledge uh, that Paul was ever in Colossae. Uh, We don't uh, see, in fact, he writes at the beginning of the letter, I have heard about your faith, which maybe tells us that he he doesn't know those people personally, hasn't seen them, hasn't met them, hasn't been to that church. Makes it a little bit different. But Colossa was a... uh, It was a great city. It was located on an east-west trade route, a major road, a major highway that linked uh, the Aegean Sea with the Euphrates River. So it had been a highly traveled road. So it originally thrived as a center of commerce. It's kind of like Hamilton County, if you think about it. Uh, We're on a major trade route to Indianapolis, right? Uh, US 31 right here. Um, And we're kind of a major trade center. But over time, what happened was the trade route changed. 
Now, we don't know anything about that in Indiana. We don't know about any towns, do you, where the main road used to run right through the town, but then it went out to the side of the town, and all of a sudden the middle of the town uh, stopped thriving. We don't really have that around here, right? Um, But that's what was happening in Colossae, was that uh, it became kind of off the beaten path all of a sudden. Major, center, thriving business place um, has kind of dwindled in power over time. Uh, Its importance dwindled compared to some other cities around it. Uh, Colossae was further reduced by an earthquake about the same time this letter was written to Paul. And so uh, to add insult to injury, it had become less important, but then an earthquake came and uh, destroyed a lot of the city. The point is there was some obvious pain and hardship. Uh, inside this church, with the people in this church in Colossae, uh, and inside the town. People that once knew wealth were struggling. That Some people were still reeling from the potential fallout of the earthquake, and I think we can draw some parallels to today. I mean, if you live in Hamilton County or in the north side of Indianapolis or around here, you probably know where many of us live, there is a lot of abundance. We, we see abundance everywhere. But I think all of us still know people who are in pain, right? You're, you know people who... Um, maybe look put together on the outside, but on the inside, we know they're struggling. It might be our neighbors, uh, which is one of the important reasons for this series. So Paul writes this letter to the Christians in Colossae to encourage them and to remind them how to live in this world. And this is what he says in Colossians 4, 5. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, the word outsiders may seem a little bit harsh, uh, but remember Paul's writing to people in the church. He's writing to Christ followers, and if you've been in church for a long time, you may not remember what it was like to be a visitor. You know, uh, that so many times we get used to church, and not just used to church, but we get used to our church, like right? the, the way we do things and the, the order of things that happen and when we're supposed to stand up and when we're supposed to sit down and, and how we take communion and how we do baptisms and, and what kind of music we play. And we get so used to that that it can be really, really hard for somebody coming from the outside to come into a place like this and feel comfortable because we know each other. We sit together sometimes, right? Um, And we have our patterns. We all have our patterns. And so uh, Paul is saying, hey, there are people, he's reminding the Christians, there are people outside of the church that don't know how you're living life. He's saying, you know, uh, there are people that don't speak Christianese. They, they don't know when to sit and stand. They don't, they don't know that it's okay not to be okay when you come to church. You know, they don't know what it means to worship a God that you can't see. Right, And so when you're dealing with those people, you have to keep in mind that, that they don't live life like you do. They don't see the world like you do. He, and so he calls them outsiders. And he says, be wise in, your de- in the way you act towards outsiders. Paul's reminding these Christians, you're, re- you're living around people who don't see the world the same way that you see the world. They haven't found their way back to God yet. What does Paul command them to do? Judge their behavior, number one, right? We're going to judge their behavior, and then we've got to shun them. Is that what Paul, no, that's not what Paul says. He says, be wise in the way you deal with outsiders. Don't be foolish. He says, don't do stupid stuff. Don't say stupid things. Don't, you think about how you act and what you're going to say and how you are perceived by people who aren't believers. And then second, he says what? He says, make the most of every opportunity. And so you can see as Paul's writing this, he's communicating with a sense of urgency. He's saying, These people are outside, but we don't want them to stay outside forever, right? And so he's saying, make the most of every opportunity. He's challenging his friends in the church to make the most of every opportunity. 
Do you recognize that when you're at home, when we're at home, we are surrounded by opportunity? You know, every conversation in the yard, every person on our street or in our dorm or in our apartment complex, God has given you opportunities to love and make a difference in your neighbor's lives. I mean, think about it. What if it's not a coincidence? Uh, we said this last week. What if it's not a coincidence you are living right where you are right now? I mean, what, what does it mean to you to think that God has sent you these people, these individuals that live right around you, these families in the homes and the apartments around you? I mean, if you're headed off to college this fall, have you even thought about, like, the floor you'll be living on and who else might be there and what God wants to do there? And so here's the reminder from Paul. He says, make the most of every opportunity. To do what? What did Jesus say? To love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so there are a number of challenges uh, that make loving your neighbor difficult. We really just touched on this last week, but I heard so many stories this week. Uh, I love that we're doing this series. If nothing, for no other reason, it gives me a lot of chances to laugh when people bring me their neighbor story of their one neighbor that's almost impossible to reach. And like I said, I wish I could tell them to you. Um, Come up after the service. I'll tell you one or two because they're really, really great. But I I wanted to remind you, and it got me thinking as I was hearing one of these yesterday, to remind you that it's not your responsibility to bring your neighbor to Christ. All right? Like, you need to do what you're called to do to love your neighbor. And whether they ever come to church or not, whether they ever come to Christ or not, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to be faithful in what's called you, what God's called you to do. And so here's what I want to do today. I just want to share four things that can help us make the most of every opportunity with our neighbors. Um, these aren't in your notes because I gave you the neighbor, neighbor map again this week, but if you want to write these down, you can. Uh, number one is this, be willing. You need to be willing. I, I love my neighbors. I love our neighborhood. I love their kids. But the truth is uh, they get on my nerves sometimes. You probably know that if you have neighbors, uh, there are other people. If, you ha- if they have kids and you have kids, uh, they might get on your nerves sometimes. Uh, it's not their fault. It's my fault. All right? Uh, we have moments like these. Uh, we've got moments like these in our neighborhood where uh, we have happy, smiling kids out on our deck or uh, like these laying in our hammock. Um, we have those moments in our neighborhood, and I love those moments. And, uh, but there are other moments where people are ringing my doorbell for the 67th time today where kids are trampling through our flower beds and uh, neighbors asking if we could babysit for just a minute while I run to the grocery store and go get a pedicure. You know, and so there are those moments too, and you have to put up with those moments. My wife's laughing because she knows what I'm talking about. Um, now, so, so because of those moments, some of us shy away from reaching out to build new relationships. And so instead of getting to know the eight closest neighbors around us, it's so much easier, isn't it, just to pull the car in the garage, close the garage door, go inside and live a drama-free life inside our own house, right? Behind the security of our privacy fence. Or maybe you've got that neighbor that always wants to talk about themselves. They, they love to be in conversation. And as long as you want to talk about what they're doing, what they're up to, how good their kids are being, uh, they're happy to talk to you. Uh, and even when they come seeking your advice, they never take it, right? You know, those, those people, hey, I want to know what you would do in this situation. You know, I've already decided I'm going to do it this way. So thanks for listening. Now, you know, I've done these things. It takes energy to invest in other people. Now, here's the thing. If we're going to be followers of Jesus who make the most of every opportunity, we've got to choose a willing attitude. We've got to be willing. We've got to be intentional about this. I, I mentioned this book last week called The Art of Neighboring. It's, it's written by two pastors who got a bunch of other pastors and leaders together from the Denver area in one room. They invited the mayor of their city to come and meet with them. And they said, hey, what could we do to help? 
You know, what could the church do uh, to make this city a better place to live? And, and the mayor's response was to teach people to be better neighbors. And, and there's one quote from this book that I wanted to share with you today. It, it says this, in this life, we can only do a few things really well. I think it's a good idea to make certain that one of those things is what Jesus says is most important. And think about that. He said, love God, love your neighbor. And not only did Jesus tell us how to live, he, he showed us how to live that life, didn't he? I mean, look at the life of Jesus. He demonstrates for us what it means to love your neighbor. Jesus chose the path of obedience every time. He gave his life on the cross, and he provided a way back to God for you and me. And and now he's chosen us. You are part of his plan for this world. We're here to help others find their way back to God. And what that means is that he can do great things through you, but you've got to be willing. You've got to be willing to do it. He can do greater things through your life for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of your neighbors. Are you willing? You tell God, God, I'm willing. Send me, Lord, I'm willing. Number two is this, you need to be interruptible. You have to be interruptible. One of the reasons we don't build relationships with our neighbors is either because we don't have the time or we're not willing to make the time. I mean, mean, it's so fascinating to me when I think about time and how we lived when I was a kid, and I don't want to sound like the old man, okay, the crotchety old man now, but... We have all these devices that were made to help us save time, right? We have microwaves that were invented to help us cook faster. We have text messages to help us communicate faster. We have a DVR so we can watch our TV shows. Uh, well, we don't, I don't have a DVR, but some of you, most of you have a DVR. You can watch your TV shows anytime you want. You know, all the time that we seemingly have, we still don't have time to get everything done. We're always in a hurry. Have you, have you ever noticed how everyone's always in a hurry? A few weeks ago, I was on a flight, and we were um, headed to Florida uh, for a conference, and uh, we had a 45-minute delay, which turned into an hour and a half. It turned into a two-hour delay. And people on the plane were getting more and more agitated as we went. And for me, it was funny because for our group, we didn't really have anything to do that day. We weren't in a hurry to get anywhere, but we just joined right in with the fray and complaining about, oh, what a great, oh, another delay, just flying. This is what it is. This is what you do when you fly. You wait and wait and wait, you know, and uh, everybody was complaining and nobody knew what to do with that time. But you know what happened? People started talking to one another. It's so weird because airplanes are the only place, I think, in the world where you can sit knee-to-knee with a total stranger and not say a word for two hours. Isn't that strange? But then you get on this flight and you have some common occurrence where everybody's like waiting for this plane to take off and you start talking and you start learning things about your neighbor and you start uh, hearing stories from their life and you start talking to them about life in ways that you probably have never talked to your next-door neighbor. It's so bizarre to me, but we are always in a hurry. And I think sometimes we fail to realize how our hurry is the enemy to so many more important things. Like hurry prevents us from having meaningful relationships. Hurry prevents us from being fully present in any given moment. It prevents us from loving our neighbor. You can't truly love someone when you're in a hurry. Love takes time. It takes time to love people. Love requires us to slow down and to pay attention, to to listen. And the reality is you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you're not willing to be interrupted. Jesus lived an interruptible life. There's a story in the book of Mark that demonstrates his willingness to be interrupted. Mark 5, 22. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed against him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had 
Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. This is such a powerful story. There's so much more that we could talk about this. But I want you to catch one thing. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And so Jesus is on his way to deal with this crisis. It's literally life or death. Jairus' daughter is dying, but notice how in moving from point A to point B, even with the task that was before him, Jesus made himself available to this suffering woman. He was always interruptible. What about you? You know, what might your neighbor need from you? Do you even know? I mean, if you have this neighbor map, blank C, there might be some information there that's something that you can help your neighbor with. There might be a struggle there. There might be a history there or something that you Uh, can help with, but do you even know that? Unless you live an interruptible life and make time for that, you won't. I mean, is it possible that you've got a neighbor in your life right now that's desperate for help? If they knew they could trust you, if they knew that you would slow down enough just to listen to them, what might they say to you? What kind of information might they trust you with? What might they need from Jesus through you? When it comes to loving our neighbors, uh, loving where you are right now, be interruptible. Be available. You know, pray and tell God, Lord, make me interruptible. But don't just pray it without realizing that you might have some adjustments to make. Being interruptible and making time means you've got to be at home. Are you at home? If you're going to love your neighbor, you need to be around them. Is your schedule allowing you to be home enough of the time, one, to be with your family, but two, to be around your neighbors? You've got to live at a pace that makes you available. If we're going to be able to love our neighbors, we've got to be, interrupt, be able to be interrupted by their lives. So uh, be willing, be interruptible. Number three is this, be ready. Uh, sometimes we feel like it's hard to reach out to our neighbors because we don't know what to do or what to say. Um, maybe you thought of getting, maybe the thought of you getting to know your neighbors really makes you anxious or nervous because if I do get to know them, what am I even going to say to them? I, I don't know how to help them. I don't know. Uh, what they're going to need from me, what they're going to want. I mean, how do you cultivate a relationship with someone that you don't already have a relationship with? Uh, we're gonna, we've got a workshop coming up uh, called Love Where You Are Workshop on Saturday, June the 6th. Uh, it's going to go from 9 to 11 a.m., and it's going to be a great opportunity uh, for all of us to look at how we cultivate those relationships. We're going to look at stories of things that have worked, uh, some things that haven't worked, uh, we're going to share ideas together, and it's just going to be two hours in the morning. There's going to be child care for that on, on uh, June the 6th, and we'd love to have you there. We need you to register, though, so we know um, how many babysitters we need to bring in. So you can do that on your connection card and just put uh, Love Where You Are Workshop, take it out to the info hub, and turn it into us. Uh, I think there's also now a spot on our website. Do you know that? Uh, no. I think there's a spot on our website where you can register for that now. My wife is saying, yes, there is. Okay, so thank you, honey. Um, and so uh, Saturday, June 6th, Kevin uh, Russell and I are co-leading that workshop, and so we'd love to see you there. And I think my wife and I and Kevin, maybe she's giving me the Grinch look. So no, Kevin and I are co-hosting that workshop. Let's just call it like it is. It can be awkward. 
to, to love your neighbor. It can be forming relationships with other people we don't know can be really awkward. Uh, again, stories this week have just been overwhelming. But if we're going to do what Jesus called us to do, we have to get over the fear of the awkward. We, we have to decide that we're going to be ready and willing to respond whenever a situation or an opportunity arises. God wants us to be ready. He's ready to orchestrate moments and conversations and relationships uh, right where you are with your neighbors. He, he's, he's put people near you for a purpose. I believe that. And we're going to talk a whole lot more about how to do that and how to initiate those conversations next week. So I'd love to have you back then. But for now, just think, if we're going to be about loving our neighbors, we have to commit ourselves ahead of time that we're going to be ready. That at any time when the opportunity comes up, we're going to be ready to take any opportunity that comes to us. Uh, Back to his letter uh, to the church at Colossae after uh, Paul told the early believers to make the most of every opportunity. He comes back and he tells them this, Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And what did Paul mean by that? Well, he's saying that our conversations should be kind and courteous. To be seasoned with salt means that we seek to be interested and attentive as opposed to not listening and not caring. Uh, he's also saying that we should be ready to tell our story of what Jesus is doing in our lives. Uh, the apostle Peter wrote, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, we, we said last week, I want to remind you again this week that people are not projects. This is not your personal project to go out and fix somebody's life. Uh, or to win them to Christ, we're not to judge, we're not to take advantage. The goal is not to get our neighbor to church as soon as possible. What did Jesus say we're supposed to do? Love your neighbors. Love God and love your neighbor. And if we're going to make the most of every opportunity, uh, we have to be people who are ready to engage in conversations with our neighbors that embody love and grace and that characterize our relationship with God. Are you ready? Pray and tell him, God, I'm ready. I'm willing I'm interruptible. I'm ready to be used by you today. Now, the homework for this week is uh, we want you to get more information on this neighbor map. And so here's what I want you to do this week. Do something intentional that might lead you to get to know some of your neighbors a little bit better. You, you, you want to add some facts to your neighbor map. You're already working on names. See if you can't put yourself in a position to learn other things. Let me give you a couple ideas. Uh, take a walk through your neighborhood. Pray and ask God to create opportunities as you're walking. If you have a dog, dogs are great conversation starters. Uh, Kids, kids start conversations uh, much easier than adults. Uh, Move your fire pit to the front yard. I mean, unless it's one of those big stone things. You know, if it's like the little metal one. Move it out to the front yard or the driveway. Move your grill to the driveway. You're going to have a cookout this weekend? Um, Buy a couple extra pounds of meat. Move it out to the driveway. Invite people over. Plan a neighborhood barbecue. Host a wiffle ball game or a kickball game or football game or an ice cream social for kids in your yard. You know, this picture came about because we were making s'mores in the backyard. And uh, kids smell marshmallows cooking from about four miles away. And so the neighbors will just flock to your backyard. There are endless opportunities. Are you willing? Can you interrupt your normal routines? Are you ready? I think the fourth thing and the most important thing is this. We need to be prayerful. You know, the most important thing we can do is pray. One of the reasons to know your neighbor's names is so you can pray for them by name. Pray for their heart. Pray for your heart. If you're disinterested, maybe this series is meaningless to you because you just can't find the motivation to want to go love your neighbor or even a particular neighbor. Ask God to change your heart. 
Pray and ask God to do something special through you or through your family for your neighbors. Pray and ask him to help you make the most of every opportunity to love your neighbor as you've been commanded to love your neighbor. The late Dallas Willard was a great thinker and author and Uh, He wrote this in a book called Renovation of the Heart. He said, When the proper ordering of the human system under God is complete, then we will have people who love God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their strength and with all their mind and their neighbor as themselves. When we are like this, our whole life is an eternal one. Everything we do counts for eternity and is preserved there. Imagine living in a neighborhood that could alter eternity. I believe that God has a vision for your neighbors and for where you live. And imagine what could happen if everyone at Genesis started living this out. You know, we have people at Genesis that live in neighborhoods all over Carmel and Noblesville and Westfield and Fishers and Zionsville and on the north side of Indianapolis and in Boone County. I mean, just think, if every one of us became good neighbors, we could partner with God to transform our neighborhood. And if multiple neighborhoods get transformed, you start to transform a city. And when multiple cities get transformed, you you start to transform a state. And when multiple states get transformed, you transform a nation. And when multiple nations get transformed, it can change our world. But if we want to change the world, we'll probably find that it's best to start with our neighbor. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful for the challenge Even today, as I'm speaking these words, I'm speaking them right to myself. You're speaking them right to me. That that you've got a plan for me and my neighbors and in my neighborhood. That there is work to do among your people. And God, I just pray that among around over everyone here in this crowd today, that, that we have work to do and we need your spirit to do it, Lord. We can't do this on our own. It's not of our flesh to go out and have those awkward conversations and to to try to build those relationships. We need you. We need your bravery, your courage. (laughs) We need you to help us walk upon the water, God. And we pray that uh, even as we do this, we realize it's not for our benefit, it's not for our glory, but it's for your glory and for the sake of the world, God, because you're trying to reach the world. You wish no one to perish. You want everyone to find their way back to you. And God, we just commit today that we know we are part of your plan to do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.